This is the Sensitive Rebel Podcast, and I'm your host, Steve McCready. Join me for conversations with fellow sensitive rebels as we discuss the challenges of making a difference in a world that touches us deeply. If you're ready to turn your sensitivity into a secret weapon, then you're in the right place. Let's do this. Hey, Sensitive Rebels, it's Steve. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Michael Legg. Michael and I met each other recently in an online business program, and we discovered that we have a lot in common, not just in the work that we do, but in how we think about that work. So I was really excited to have him on the show. One thing I want to make you aware of is that in this conversation, you're going to hear about some terms that you may not be familiar with, um, some people who you might not know. But what I've done is I put some links in the show notes that will give you any other background that you might want or need about those. And so now here's my conversation with Michael Legg. So I'm pleased to welcome Michael Legg to the Sensitive Rebel Podcast. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing real good. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it and happy to have the chance to talk to you. Absolutely. Delighted to be here. Thanks a million for inviting me. Of course. So here's where I want to start. What are you rebelling against? What am I rebelling against? <laughs> it's such a brilliant question. Well, what I do, I think, in my job is to help people to rebel against any of these mental obstacles or things that are holding them back from happiness and well-being and living, you know, life on their own terms. Um, and so, and, and, and I think that's what I'm doing as well. I'm rebelling against any obstacles like anxiety. I used to go through a lot of anxiety and that kind of brought me into, into the coaching world. And um, so, so I rebel against that myself. Let's go back. Probably the answer to the, why that is going to be for us to jump into your background as an actor and your career. So how did you get into the world of acting? From a very, very young age, I think it, it, it started when I was six or seven, my mom brought me to see a play in a, so I was brought up in Northern Ireland um, and she brought me to see a play by Brendan Behan, as far as I can remember. I was completely spellbound by the fact that there were these people on the stage and they were dressed up and there was a story and there was lighting and I was completely spellbound by the theatre. So that, that was my first kind of introduction to theatre. And then at the age of 11, I was allowed to join a local drama group in my local town, Newry, in Northern Ireland. Then, cuts to four or five years later, and I was very lucky to audition for a film that was being cast in Belfast. And I went to Belfast for the audition, and, and I'm now 16, and I got it. And then I was shooting this film, and I got an agent from that. Did my... did. The, you know, stayed in school for the next two years and to do my A-levels and get all that stuff out of the way. Um, but then at 18, after my last A-level, the morning after my last exam, I flew straight to London um, and I started work on a series. Um, and then I was in London for the next 20 years working as an actor, 
Okay. So that answers my question of how you got from Ireland to London. Cause I knew there was that, that shift <laughs> somewhere al- along the way. So it sounds like you were initially drawn to the world of performance and acting and theater from just the atmosphere of it almost is what, you know, I'm hearing. And you talk about your initial exposure to it, just that all the atmosphere and energy of it, but it sounds like that really resonated with you. Absolutely. I think I, well, I know, I know particularly now in all the work that I've done over over the past 15, 20 years or so on my own mindset and my own psychology. But but when I look back, I was a very sensitive six, seven-year-old, you know. I still am a very sensitive person. I think I think a lot of creative people are. Most people that I know in the creative industry and certainly most of my friends within those industries have a higher level of sensitivity. And you know, in some ways that can be really good and in some ways that can be detrimental. But yes, obviously, there's a lot of heightened emotions and sensory experiences within theater and film and all of that. So, of course, I was drawn into that world. Absolutely. Let's talk about that that role of sensitivity and emotions in the work of acting and performance. How do you think that that and your kind of heightened sensitivity, how do you think that served or benefited you during your career uh, in acting? I think that... Um, you know, one of the great benefits of feeling the senses more, I guess, is the way you would put it. But feeling the senses is is being more, not more interested in people, but maybe understanding how people are emoting or understanding why people are emoting. Certainly, maybe a bit more empathy for other people's feelings and awareness, for sure. I, I think that's it. I, I have always felt this it's like an extra sense i guess but this this sense that when i meet people i kind of know what's going on <laughs> within a few minutes i get this sense of i think i know i do a lot of presupposition and sometimes it's not right but but often it is a lot of that comes from the acting as well you know kind of understanding character where people have come from you know what's happened to them to bring them to the point of where they are now why they're behaving in the way that they are Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're saying it like it allowed you to really almost connect more with these characters, even though they're like written, right? They're, they're not, they're, they're fictional things, but to be able to connect with them and to really connect with who they are, what they've got going on, what their challenges are and all of those things, just because of your maybe heightened awareness or attunement on that level. I was always fascinated by psychology and, and, and why people do what they do. Um, but I've discovered, you know, because I've I've kind of, as I said, I've done a lot of work on my own mind and my own behavior and my own beliefs and sense of identity and all of that. I think ultimately it's always come from a place of, of wanting people to feel good. And again, that's sensory, you know, of course. And this feeling of, you know, yeah, just wanting people to feel well. And, and happy and, you know, yeah, have a, have a, have a sense of, of well-being. So yeah, connection, just helping, supporting, helping other people to be in a better place. 20 years is definitely a long, long time to, to do that work. Tell me about how over time, as you continue to do it, how your feelings about acting evolved or kind of how that touched you, because that's, in my experience, the thing with the emotional attunement, it's double-sided. On the one hand, it allows us to connect with and be aware of things. On the other hand, it also allows maybe a lot more in for some people. So tell me about how your career proceeded. 
I I was in London and throughout my twenties and and right up into my mid thirties. You know, I, I was doing very very well. You know, on the outside certainly, I was seen as I was very successful and I was I was consistently working, which you know a lot of actors don't. So I was I was incredibly fortunate, and I was put into a lot of very fortunate positions. So I was working on really good movies and really lovely TV series, and I was working with the right people and the right directors, right actors, right creatives. But I think what you're talking about is the down times. You know, there were, there's a lot of rejection, obviously, as an actor. So the parts that I didn't get, I wouldn't just feel them. I would deeply, deeply feel them. <laughs> I think that's that's what it is. I would get very, very upset if I didn't get a part. And then I would be questioning myself, am I losing it? Am I not as good an actor anymore? And I would go into this whole kind of, you know, negative self-talk. You know, I started feeling things much more deeply. I guess the the bad side of of the whole profession, which there's a lot of. That's, I think, one of the things that strikes me is that we don't think about that part of things necessarily unless you're in it. But it seems inevitable that you would get your fair share of rejection, and it seems like that is exactly the kind of thing that could exert some real wear and tear on your psyche over time. Yeah, and I think in the in the acting world, it's very much uh, it's kind of just taken for granted when you're in it that you know you're not going to get every job of course not but the level of insecurity no matter how well you're doing you know I, I, a lot of my friends were at the very top level and um, and those guys were just as nervous as the guys who weren't working at all as actors because ultimately like like any performer and my goodness particularly at the minute i feel really awful for all of the creative industries because they don't know where they're next you know the next month what's going to happen um so it's this insecurity of income is is huge it's a big big deal and that always was what that was weighing heavily on my mind because of course it's the old thing of you know you get to where you think you want to be but then it's not enough, you know, you need to get to the next level and then the next level and then the next level. And you're constantly looking in front of you rather than kind of what's happening right here and now. When did you get to the point where you started to recognize like this wasn't working? Because it sounds like it was an increasing kind of uh, wear and tear on on you in a mental and psychological standpoint. So when did you become aware that like, I this is really a problem and I need to do something about it? Thankfully, it never became a problem to the point you know, where I uh, I lost control or anything like that. But it absolutely manifested in me maybe messing up a few too many additions, just not being prepared enough, and a general unease, a general sense of I'm not enjoying this as much as I used to. I'm definitely not enjoying the stressful bits. And, and, and actually, I'm maybe not coping as well with the stressful bits. And... Um, and the way things changed for me was I'd never really spoken to anybody about what was going on inside my own head. I, I, it just had never really been a thing for me. And um, so I'd never had therapy. I'd never spoken to a counselor or anything like that. I, I kind of had dealt with everything myself and, and I considered myself a very kind of strong, mentally resilient person. But the truth was and is, I think th there's a certain amount that you can deal with yourself, but but it can build. And for me, I think it was building gradually over years. The, the, the stress of going on stage in front of 2,000 people 
but but added to that the stress of worrying about forgetting your lines or or once I had a panic attack on stage and and, and that was awful. <laughs> And for months and months and months, I ruminated on that and was worried that it was going to happen again and again and again. And I kept all of this to myself. So it did get to a point where I started having panic attacks. I didn't know what it was. And the first one I had, I thought was kind of like a mini heart attack. It's super scary when you don't know what it is and you haven't experienced it. It is, it is one of the most frightening things I think there is for someone to have. It's like, what the heck is going on? Am I dying right now? Yeah. That's how I felt. And I was on a plane when it happened. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, <laughs> and I really didn't enjoy flying as it was. And then that totally put me off flying for a while anyway. Um, yes. So and that came at a time when I was working back to back. I, I was I was working super heavily um, and not taking any self-care time. You know, I didn't have particularly positive habits installed of meditating or or exercising enough or eating well i was eating well but 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 there was yeah there weren't enough kind of good self-care habits installed in me and because my my eye was just on the next job essentially right uh yes and that came to a point where it was like enough's enough i think the panic attack really the first one i had was was my body's way of saying have a break you know slow down stop um, and it inspired me to talk to people. I talked to my family straight after that. So it was actually a very helpful thing. While we're on the, the topic of family momentarily, what kind of messages do you recall kind of taking about feelings and emotions growing up as a kid in Ireland? Um, so, I mean, growing up in Ireland, I was, I was, first of all, I was really fortunate that I'm from a very, very close family and we're still very, very close. And so I felt a lot of love and support, a lot of love and support when I was younger. I actually think my fascination in people, um, you know, feeling well and being well, partly it's an Irish thing as well. If you want everyone to just have a nice time all the time as much as possible. Um, but also very much from my my mother, very much is like that. She, you know, that kind of welcoming. And um, my grandmother was the same, just she, wanting everyone to just be happy and um, and so so messaging from you know that that obviously by osmosis i think seeps in uh, and my mother and, and grandmother very strong strong people and um, so i i really looked up to them and, and in terms of messaging in terms of psychology or in terms of therapy or anything like that. I think therapy was seen as an American thing when I was growing up, when I was a child. I, I think I remember a conversation driving. I'm not sure if I was with my parents, but I remember a conversation, probably I was around 10, 11. We were talking about somebody who was seeing a therapist and this was like seen as this quite glamorous American thing. <laughs> and I, yeah, I remember that specific. I just remember that now. But yeah, it well, you you didn't. I don't think you necessarily talked about your feelings that much. It's changed a lot now, thankfully. But but then, I don't think it was really a thing. I don't think it was really a thing. You know, my parents were always very loving and supportive, and I was always super sensitive, and they were aware of that. So I would talk openly 
nothing about everything. Gotcha. So you had a good environment that really made it okay and comfortable to be who you were as a, as a sensitive kid, but it's not necessarily a topic that was, sounds like was really overtly discussed or explored or dug in too much. Yeah, for sure. I remember teachers calling me too sensitive for sure. And certainly treating me like I was overly sensitive, you know, it's like throwing a football at me and not understanding why I couldn't kick it back brilliantly or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's now I'm going to jump back again to, to more towards an, in the later part of your acting work where, where you were really starting to have these panic attacks. I'm wondering, did any of that old messaging, right. From these teachers of like, yeah, you're too sensitive. Did, did those sorts of things come up as part of the, the self-doubt or questioning in your head? Yeah, for sure. I was getting very annoyed with myself because because as I say, I felt like this quite strong, in-control person, but suddenly there was this seemingly kind of big weakness, <laughs> which of course you don't want to admit. And once I spoke to my family, that was a huge weight off my mind. Um, but yeah, I was very, I was angry with myself for a good few years, I think, because I didn't know, I didn't know what to do about it. You know, and my family didn't particularly know what to do about it. Um, and talking with them really helped, but, but and, and that's what, I mean, your, your previous question, the answer, the answer for that really comes now, which is, which is more, that's what getting really frustrated with finding out how to help myself. That's what inspired me to, to really step back and go, I'm actually not going to dedicate time to this. And it's super important. I, I I clarified a very clear objective of understanding myself, taking time to understand myself, taking time to understand how my own mind worked. And, um, you know, the teaching of it came very much later, as it often does. You go through something and you come out the other end and you say, oh, I can help everybody with that. And I, that that was not in my mind at all. It was very much... I want to, you know, go to auditions and nail it and not feel like I'm worried about having a panic attack in the middle of the room with that producer and that director. And I mean, essentially, that's where that came from. So tell me about that journey of, of you saying, OK, I need to get some support here. I need to, to sort some of this stuff out and how you went about doing that and kind of what that, you know, what that part of your um, of your journey was like. So I, I remember very clearly I. I don't know why, but I said to myself, I'm going to give myself five years to properly, you know, investigate as much as I can about the mind as possible. Um, and I felt I had a really good head start as an actor anyway. And, and as I said, I'd always had a fascination for psychology. So I pretty much got every book about psychology that I could and spent a good few years just self-learning literally just reading and, and studying and um, alongside of acting, you know, so anytime that I wasn't acting, I was, I was reading psychology books. Um, so if I can interrupt for a second, yeah, I just want to ask, so of those books, what's the one that you would say that most struck you or you found most impactful in that part of your journey? I was very fortunate. One of the first books, well, I guess it was more about logotherapy, but, um, but, but very early on, I found the book that has been most impactful to me, which was Man's Search for Meaning, Victory Frankl. Um, and the whole concept of logotherapy, the whole concept that there's always this 
there's always this lovely kind of moment that you are absolutely in control of your reaction and whether to react or not, or choosing your own reaction. So something happens, you know this very well, something happens and then you have, you have two seconds, five seconds, however long you want to choose your reaction. You don't, you don't have to explode or you don't have to suddenly get anxious. Or you don't have to suddenly feel sad. You have that time to choose. And, and I was blown away by this. That really changed everything for me. I reread that book like every two, three months and I'm constantly recommending it to clients. I think you're right though. It's like that shift in perspective. Cause I think a lot of people really do genuinely think cause it feels that way that like, I can't control how I react to this thing. Like it's like, it's so automatic and it's so fast if we're not conscious that it does feel like we don't have a space, but of course, yes, we do. If we do the right work to be able to be aware and attuned, but you're right. Once you get that awareness that there's that space there and that you can kind of stretch it, that is such a powerful thing. So it's no surprise to me that that would have, would have hit you in that, in that kind of way, because it really does open, you know, kind of almost infinite doors. It really does. And, and it takes, it, it takes a bit of practice, of course, but as you said, the awareness is, it's the first step and that kind of, yeah, control is the right word getting back in control. What I was searching for absolutely was getting back in control, getting back in control of my own mind and feeling completely in control. And that was, that was probably one of the first learnings that I had to bring me there, you know, to bring me to having the awareness that it's possible. We don't, we don't just have to react. You know, we have that choice. Right. We live in a society that doesn't necessarily always support or encourage it, but that doesn't mean it's not there. <laughs> but let's come back to your, you were talking about. So you did this, this extensive reading, right? This, this deep study. Um, and, um, you know, as part of your five-year journey here, what other things did you do along those five years to kind of learn, develop yourself and all of that? Yeah. So then um, essentially I... I think I finished reading all of the psychology books ever. <laughs> I'm sure I didn't. I'm sure I didn't, but I I made sure I, I compiled a pretty, you know, authoritative list. And I got through those and made all my own notes. And uh, and then I went into I kind of find I started discovering other holistic things. Um and and that kind of brought me more into kind of the self-help area. Uh, so then I devoured, for example, everything by Louise Hay. I kind of got into metaphysics for a while and all of that, that kind of world of manifestation and, and part of that I loved and part of it, I kind of left to one side. Um, and, and similarly with, with most of the self-help world, you know, part of it really helped me. A lot of it really helped me. And, and a lot of it I put to the side and it's like, that, that's not for me. Um, I I studied a lot of philosophy and then and then I kind of did a roundabout turn and studied a lot of CBT um, and CBT actually then led me into NLP which for me I kind of felt like I'd come full circle when I started learning NLP neurolinguistic programming that um uh, there were so many similarities to acting and to the structure of how to put together a performance that I felt a very immediate um I felt a very immediate connection with NLP and then I spent the next 
like six years studying NLP until I became, I went right the way through to become an NLP trainer. That now forms about at least 50% of my, of my coaching is, is NLP based. So such deep study here from you, you should have gotten some kind of paper for this or something along the way, right? Some things to hang on your wall. (laughs) Um, But so in addition to all of your kind of self-study, were there um, people that you connected with and got support with coaches, therapists, other, other folks like that? So, yeah, I mean, a lot of my study was solitary, which is something I slightly regret. Um, but I didn't know who to reach out to. And I knew it was easy to go to Waterstones and or a nice bookshop and pick up a book and I could do it on my own. Also, there was a large amount of, well, I guess there was a lot of ego as well. I didn't want to particularly admit that I was going to go off and do all of this study. So a lot of it I was doing myself, um, as in without telling people, even friends really. But with the NLP, that's kind of when I started reaching out. And I, I reached out to one of the best, one of the ladies that was pretty much, she was the person that was responsible for taking NLP into the business world in the UK. Amazing lady called Sue Knight, um, who became my mentor, really, uh, because I, I studied NLP right the way through with her. Um, and she she uh, she taught me how to become a trainer. And um so she was incredible. She's the author of my favorite book on NLP called NLP at Work, um, which is very, a lot of it's very much about uh, communication in the business world and how it can be helped through uh, neurolinguistic programming, a lot of communication skills and, and things like that. So how did you bring all this knowledge and awareness and these new skills of yours? Did you bring those back into the realm of acting in in your work in acting? Or what did you do with these things once you had learned all of this? I made a decision. I can never remember. I don't think in numbers. It's amazing. I literally, I have friends who can say, oh, your birthday's on, or that happened to me in 2016. Or for some reason, my brain doesn't compute like that. Uh, So I can't remember exactly when, but about... Six years ago, say, I made a decision to put acting on pause completely. Now, at that time, I had already been coaching for a good few years, but I started coaching actors, mainly with performance anxiety and all of the things that I had gone through, essentially. Um, And they were holding me back from auditioning well and just feeling good as an actor. Um, And then mainly just through referral, I started working with non-actors. And um, now at the same time, I was becoming an NLP trainer. So then I started coaching a, a lot of non-actors and that's how I've kind of come to where I am now. But I haven't actually acted now in about six years. So that pause became quite a long pause. <laughs> and I'm, I'm still, I'm, yeah, I'm heavily resting. and very heavily resting as an actor at the moment. That's not to say that I won't you know, do it again. But, but essentially everything I've learned, the question was, you know, what's, you know, what tools are you bringing now? But, but everything that I've learned through all of the self-study, through all of the work I've done with actors, you know, before any of this happened, I bring like 30% of my coaching is is kind of acting skill stuff as well. So, so I bring, I bring all of it together to kind of do my own, I've got my own programs and they're all very much just a mix of all the best stuff I've learned essentially. So what, so you, you learn all this, you start to help 
actors with similar challenges to to what you've done. But what was it that led to you deciding to do that versus just taking these tools and skills and using them for yourself, right? What, what made you decide, okay, I want to share these with others. And then how did that lead to you saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this instead? Yeah, that's a brilliant question. I, I think the, well, the most direct answer is it felt more purposeful. It, it felt more like I'm getting up out of bed in the morning and I'm super excited to essentially really help, I'm not going to say transform people's lives, but really genuinely make a difference to people and really, really help them. As an actor, my favorite part of acting was feeling that you could shift people's perspective. You know, you could entertain them, you could educate them. It's a very similar process with coaching, you know, if you, and, and, and you get the same buzz. Well, I certainly get the same buzz, but but what I discovered is um, as I became more popular as a coach, I discovered that I, my days I was enjoying much more than maybe waiting around on a film set or worrying about how many scenes I was in in a TV show or whatever. It just started feeling more purposeful. And also I feel very much um, that, that the second part of the answer really, which is a little more looking into my soul slightly, is that I, I'm in control. Whereas as an actor, you're a puppet on a string. Essentially, you're controlled by other people, no matter what you're doing. Whereas with this, I'm very much, as the mind health coach, I'm completely in control of that. I can choose who I work with, where I work, all of all of that stuff. And I never had that as an actor. Why do you think that is, that having that is such an important thing for you? How does that help when you've got that? Because for years, I didn't. <laughs> I... <laughs> And how did that feel when you didn't have it? Let me ask you that. Like, how did not having it feel? What was the, what was the problem or challenge about that for you? Well, that was the greatest learning that I got. I mean, if we boil everything down as to why, you know, I started developing and anxiety was never extreme. It was, it was moderate, thankfully. But if we boil everything down and kind of assess me and assess what happened, um, it was all about not feeling in control of my own life. I mean, essentially, that's what it was all about. So I've now kind of brought myself to a place where I feel fully in control. And so I think I craved that. I craved it so much that then my body at one point went, okay, stop. (laughs) We need to do something where you're going to have control. And as an actor, yeah, of course, there's there's ways of doing it. And I just couldn't figure out how. Well, so here's the thing that's coming up in my mind is, do you, is do you think that maybe your sensitivity that attunement was actually something where part of why the control is something that you want is it allows you to be able to kind of protect yourself in a sense right and to be able to take care of yourself in a way that's really hard to do when everything else is driving things that's certainly been my own experience um you know in in my journey um but i could imagine that might be true here for you too yeah oh i would imagine that's absolutely right um yeah, it's. I think these things are often, you know, the part of us. I think. I, I think every part of us. There's no malicious parts to us at all. Every part of us wants an unconscious positive intention, you know. And and the part of me that started developing anxiety or started getting very stressed, or the part of me that now I was super sensitive. They're all. They're all working in my own interest. They're all trying to do their best for me just some of those voices got a little louder at times when it wasn't very helpful but but 
they're all wanting to protect me. No, I think that is such an important thing, right? To recognize is these voices, they sound, they sound sometimes really bad and they can be really, really negative and really harsh. But at the end of the day, their underlying purpose is they are trying to protect us. They're trying to keep us safe. They just aren't always very good at their job. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes they're right. rubbish. They're terrible. Right. Yeah, exactly. They need to be fired or at least they need to be retrained maybe because we can't really fire them entirely, but we can at least retrain them. Right. And that's, it's a great frame. Yeah. To retrain them. Cause that, that is the issue, isn't it? Once we start screaming at them or trying to shut them out, they just get a little lighter. Unfortunately, it does not work. I, you know, many, as I'm sure you've experienced probably plenty <laughs> of your clients have certainly mine. It's like, yeah, you can try that all day long, but it doesn't work. It's like, it's like the telemarketer that you're just going to keep calling until you talk to them and hear what they have to say. Apparently no, that, that's exactly it. Yeah. So coming back to your work, um, one, I'm going to, I'm going to debate you, you kind of downplay the idea of the word transformation as far as what you do for your clients. But I think that might be selling yourself short because I think the type of work that you're doing absolutely can be transformative. So I want to one, just say, maybe you need to, to, you know, give yourself a little bit more, um, more credit for what you're doing and, and the importance of it. But, but tell me some more about kind of the work that you do, who are the kind of people who, you know, who seek you out and how that work allows them to grow, to get transformed, um, to change their lives. Tell me a little bit about that. Great. And thank you for that. That's very kind. Um, Look, but I was talking about, you know, feeling more purposeful and, and getting the buzz. And of course, a lot of the buzz comes from I do see people transform and sometimes very, very quickly. And it, it's it's a wonderful thing. So and I feel very lucky that I am in a in a job where where, you know, people do people do have transformative experiences and, and change their lives, essentially. So in terms of the people that come to see me, it's usually it's usually people that they feel like something is just lacking. It's it's like they they're doing okay, um, but there's maybe something within them that's saying this isn't enough. You know, there's more, essentially. And often I discover there's a talent or there's something also also because I'm a little fascinated and obsessed with finding people's talents, particularly their hidden talents, and I love that. Uh, so maybe that's why they're drawn to me. But but often, you know, within my clients, I'll discover hidden talents or or talents that just haven't really been shown the light of day. And then convince my clients to kind of parade them. And that's when Transformation Ready does kind of take place. So you see, you know, you find these these things, these strengths, these gifts that they have. What do you commonly see as the things that are that have gotten in the way thus far for them of, of them really letting those things out. I mean, every time um, there'll be a heap of core beliefs, there'll be a heap of, you know, what their parents believed or what their grandparents believed or what the people around them when they were very small believed that have literally just transferred to them that they don't realize is, is running their lives now. And um, also kind of general conditioning, limiting beliefs and a lot of perfectionism, a lot of uh, comparison and a lot of, I'm guilty of this and I was a while ago, false modesty. <laughs> 
a lot of, you know, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not good enough for that. And that's why I've never done that thing. I haven't written the book because it's going to be a bit useless or no, like I know I can sing, but I'm not as good as those people. So I, I don't think I'll bother. Or I, of course I could never run a business. I've never done it before. So why would I start now? Um, so a lot, look, a lot of the work I do is in confidence. There's, there's a common kind of, the common thread. It's always about about giving people the confidence to to be themselves, but also to really go for it in life, to really kind of, you know, find out what they want first, but then just go for it. I think about, as I'm, I'm hearing you talk about this and thinking about, you know, the the type of people that you work with, and I'm thinking about like your, your journey, because it sounds like, you know, for you, you got... Um, because of your exposure to theater at a young age and because of your supportive and warm environment that you grew up in, you were able to connect to something that was a strength of yours pretty early on, it sounds like. Yeah, I was a very imaginative child. And my my mom was an English and maths teacher, actually, but she, she would bring a lot of books home. So I was a real bookworm as well. I read a lot. And... Um, so those strengths were really fostered in me, you know, creating imagination, character, all of those things were very much fostered in me by my, by my parents. Do you think that, or any of those things from your childhood exert an influence in the work that you do or how you do it with your clients? Yes. In that one whole section of the work I do, I call create, <laughs> which is about, um, you know, it's not just about the goals that they want to create. It's about, uh, it's about what do they want to create from the moment they wake up in the morning? What, how are they being creative? I, I, I believe certainly for me, it's true that when I'm not being creative or when I don't feel I'm producing something, I feel low, you know, I feel anxious. I feel like life's passing me by. They don't need to be crazy goals, you know, that are unachievable. But, but when I feel I'm producing something, whatever that may be, or working on something or working towards something, creating something, um, I, I feel much more fulfilled and purposeful. So basically, uh, uh, the third pillar of the three pillars of all of the work I do with people, um, the first is clarity, the second is connection with themselves and with others, and the third is creation, you know, what what life are they creating and what are they creating in their lives? We've got just a little bit of, of time left here. So I wanted to see if you would be willing to play along with me a little bit and willing to let me put my coach hat on and um, play coach with you a little bit about something that's, that's going on in your business. Is that you up for that? I would love that. I would love that. Okay, cool. <laughs> cool. All right. So tell me what is, what would you say is a current challenge that you are facing in your business. Okay. So a current challenge I have and that I've always had is that uh, I don't have a specific type of person that I work with. Um, and for me, it's never been a challenge. For me, that's never been a challenge because I've been very happy that a, a lot of different types of people will contact me for help. Um, because the majority of which I know I can help but certainly within the more business structure of things, um, it may be a bit more sensible to appeal more strongly to a particular niche, should I say, or dare I say, or type of person. Um, 
my biggest issue at the minute, I usually talk about how I work with high performers, but the truth is that often high performers don't think that they're high performers or they don't even know that they're high performers, <laughs> um, particularly if they're sensitive. And, uh, and that is my, my messaging at the moment, I think would be my biggest challenge. If any marketing person looked at how I do my business, looked at my website, heard me talking, they would probably say you need to like talk about how you only work with 40 to 45 year old chiropractors. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit. So my first question would be, do you feel that that is hindering your ability to be as impactful as you want to be and, and to really, you know, make the difference you're trying to make. Um, is this really a problem? I guess is the question that I'm asking. It wasn't a problem until I became conscious of the world of marketing, which is very recent to be fair for me. Um, so it's become a problem because equally I'm a perfectionist <laughs> and I want to get everything right. And when enough people have said to me, you really need to start kind of niching a little bit. Um, yeah, I do think about it an unhealthy amount. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cause I mean, I think one of the things here, um, that maybe, I don't know how much you've thought about this, but the thing that's coming to mind for me is what would a week in the life of Michael Legg, the, you know, successful in his mind, doing the work he wants to do coach, what would that look like? How clear do you have that picture? Is that something you really feel like you understand pretty deeply? Yeah, that's very interesting because of course, with my own clients, I, I, I will ensure they do as much visualization as possible. You know, we need to see it in our minds before, before it happens. There's a lot more work to do, of course, with action taking and all the rest of it. It's not just the secret. Right. Thank but, you. Um, oh, yeah. But um, but uh, I am a little guilty in my own mind of I haven't seen it entirely the whole way through. Uh, I do see for sure, though, I want to work much more with larger groups, whether that's online or not. But but I do see myself. Yeah. I want to see myself working with, with, with in more, in more of a kind of group structure with people. So ironically, I know it's slightly about nation down, but also working with more people. It's a kind of, it, that's a dilemma in itself, isn't it? It certainly feels like one, right? Because you're thinking like, okay, if I'm narrowing my, my, if I'm narrowing the pool, like how am I going to get, get more people? So have you thought about in your, in your coaching work, really looked at the clients who you feel like you've been most impactful or transformative with, or really had the most enjoyment in working with and tried to identify common denominators or common factors in them? Yeah. And that's a really good question. So um, there's one definite thread that goes through, which is people who have an ambition to be more, or usually it's not about having more, but to be more for sure. Um, and in terms of, I seem to attract a lot of entrepreneurial types, mm -hmm. people who are, and I mean, in a way, I've kind of become an entrepreneur myself. And the, you know, with the acting, I've I've kind of come away from that, and you know, I've kind of created my own business, you know, from nothing really, from scratch. So, so maybe that's that's definitely something I could look into more. I I get excited working with entrepreneurial types. I have a I have a lot of negative beliefs around 
if you want to do a full session with me now, this is great. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a lot of, we, can, we can schedule another call. <laughs> let's, let's do that. Um, yeah, I have a lot of limiting negative beliefs around, uh, around, around my, my business skills as such. But I do know that I do know that I I can really help and I can really excite entrepreneurs. Yeah, I hear. So you you hear the energy shift there, right? I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. And and also I hear. So you're not you're you're not a you know comprehensive business coach. That's not what you're doing. You're you're the mind health coach, and so the entrepreneurs they're not looking for like teach me how to write a business plan or, you know, teach me how to, they're, or they might be, but they're not looking to you for that. They're looking to you to be like, how do I break through this stuff? Like, I can't, I, you know, it's like, they just know there's this other level there and I can't get at it. How do I do that? And those blocks. So I think for you, part of this, again, talking about um, niching down is about really owning, like, not just the, the niche of who you work with, but the niche of what you do and what you don't do and really not downplaying just how impactful that actually can be. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense for sure. It does. I think, yeah, I think, I think of the, the most sensible, if you took that to an extreme, it's like I would help actors who have, who have transitioned into different work that is entrepreneurial. But, but as I even said that, then I, I, I get nervous about just working with actors, you know, or, or performing artists or whatever that would be what's, um, for you when you, you know, I hear you're like, I don't know if I want to just limit myself to, to just actors and performers. Well, um, my question is why not? Not that there's anything wrong with not limiting, but what's the the problem in your mind about that limitation? Um, so I would say that I would say that one, many, many of those people are not in a financial position for coaching. Um, and I would end up and I'd be very happy to, because, you know, I like to, I like to give and I like people to feel good and be well. So I would end up working for free most of the time. Um, uh, which actually I would be cool with, but it wouldn't be a very good business plan. Uh, and, uh, and also because I, I, the more honest answer is because the main entrepreneurs that I'm working with at the moment, certainly they're not actors. They're not performers at all. What they are is that they have had an idea for a business or an idea to create something. I think that's what it is. It's more about people who are, they want to create something in the world. They want to make something. And so it is a kind of, uh, it's the creative elements of performance but but it's maybe more of a. I'm just thinking that now as you're asking me. But maybe it's more of a. It's like a, they're bringing something to help people, something like that. Maybe. Mm-hmm. No, that that makes sense. And this is also, I think, why you're having a hard time with the niche piece because that doesn't fit into some neat, tidy demographic, right? This is more of a psychographic thing, and it's a little bit more of an obscure thing. And so this is where I think a lot of traditional marketing stuff fails because it's like, you know, it'd be one thing if you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, middle-aged plumbers who want to, you know, transition into something else. That's not what you're really, what you're looking for. You're looking for entrepreneurial minded people who have an idea that they want to put out into the world, but they can't get it to, they can't get it to fly. They can't make it to, and that's much more of a psychographic kind of thing. It's in one sense, harder to target, but that doesn't mean it's not a viable thing to target. It just means you may need a different strategy 
in how you put yourself out there and you may need to more make yourself available to be found, you know, and, and just find a way to make yourself findable, but it may not be through some of the, um, I'll say easier marketing channels, but that doesn't mean that it can't be done or that you shouldn't do it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That absolutely makes a lot of sense. And I particularly like the differentiation between psychographic and demographic. I think you're completely right. I think I think the, the there is a big weakness in the whole marketing industry that it's all about demographic. So, um, Michael, if people want to learn more about you and your work and what you do, where is the best place for them to connect with you online? So online, the best place is Instagram. I'm on quite often. That's at the Mind Health Coach, at the Mind Health Coach. Um, my website, where there's lots of free resources and a download and all of that stuff, um, is www.themindhealthcoach.com. That's themindhealthcoach.com. And of course, if anyone ever wants to email me, um, michael at themindhealthcoach.com. Really appreciate you taking taking the time to, to come on the show and really enjoy the conversation, Michael. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. It was, uh, it was such a pleasure, Steve. That's it for this episode of the Sensitive Rebel Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. You'll find show notes, other episodes, and a whole lot more at sensitiverebel.com. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Until then, keep moving forward.